0: Mike Rags, and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk. It's the Blue Gold Report. Come on, man. We're in the League 2. We're in the League 2 now. Come on. Come on, John Gaffney. God. Congratulations, Florida State. You're fearless. That's Mike Bray from Florida State, a disappointing one-point loss that not only cost the Irish a defeat, but it cost Mike Bray a uh, public reprimand and the University $20,000. Frankly, I watched the game. I couldn't blame him for being a little bit fired up. We're going to dive more into that fine. Some of the fallout, and perhaps that will inspire the team. A lot to get to today. This is the Blue Gold Report, your latest edition as always, brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And as usual, I'm joined by Mason Plummer, live from Ball State University, where he writes for SlapTheSign.com. Does find work covering Notre Dame sports. You can find him at Mason MasonPlummer6, the numeral 6 on Twitter. You can find me at Todd Burlage. Mason, how you doing, man?
1: Doing great. How are you doing, Todd?
0: And not too bad. Not too bad. I didn't expect this to be a busy week, but between that and then uh, the recruiting class went from 18 to 17 this week, so a lot to talk about. Originally, we were going to break down the defensive depth chart, but with so much breaking news, we will table that for another week. Landon Barlson he's out. Did have some audio of Phil Jerkovic that I wanted to get to as he was introduced at Boston College after transferring from Notre Dame, so I want to pop that in as well. But as usual... We will start with your blue gold nuggets, a six-pack as usual. I'll go ahead and start at Mason. I'll get this fired up. Saturday, if you're listening in Fort Wayne on the ESPN affiliate, that's today, the noon game against Georgia Tech. Kelly Trapuca, an all-time great and all-time favorite player of mine from back in the late 70s, he will be introduced into the Ring of Honor, becoming the ninth Notre Dame player to do so. He played from 77-70, I'm sorry, he played on the 77-78 Final Four team. He was a three-time Irish All-American, the 12th leading scorer in program history. He will be honored at halftime of that game. Man, that team was loaded. Bill Lambeer, Orlando Woolridge, John Paxson, Bill Hanslick, among so many others. A lot of those folks coming back into town to share this moment with Kelly Chapuka. Mason, you're up.
1: Former Notre Dame wide receiver Corey Robinson has joined NBC Sports as a reporter and digital correspondent. And Todd, how about this for our first assignment? We get to cover Sunday's Super Bowl. How about that?
0: <laughs> I got to cover him when he was here. Oh, he's a good kid, I suppose, if anybody deserves it. And we'll do a great job with it. It's Corey Robinson. you would be, yeah. Well, why didn't we get that opportunity, right, Mason? Right. <laughs> uh, Gene Corrigan. The athletic director here at Notre Dame from 1981 to 1987 passed away this week at the age of 91. He had huge shoes to fill when he took that job because he replaced legendary athletic director Edward Moose Krause, who was here for 32 years, one of the great Notre Dame legends, but certainly Corrigan lived up to what he needed to do. A couple of his most notable hires, Muffet McGraw and Lou Holtz, so not too shabby there. After his time here... He moved on and spent eight seasons, eight years I should say, as the ACC commissioner and then eventually three years as the NCAA president. Again, Gene Corrigan passes away at the age of 91. Many kids and grandkids still are a legacy to Gene here at Notre Dame. Mason?
1: All right, so if you hadn't already heard, 2020 tight end commit Michael Mayer moved from the 69th spot to the 23rd best player in the nation in Thursday's 24-7 sports five-star ranking show. This is what National Director of Scouting, Barton Simmons, he's the guy that runs the show, had to say of Mayer. He described him as such a complete player, and his explanation for making Mayer a five-star was that when you consider the season Mayer had as a Gatorade Player of the Year in Kentucky and add his obvious physical traits and his standout performances in every major event he's attended, five-star seemed obvious. So, Todd, yeah, another five-star for Notre Dame, and then a big drop. Chris Tyree dropped 60 spots from five-star range to the four-star range. I landed at about 130s on the four seven composite rankings. A little bit rough on that one. What do you
0: think happened there?
1: It came down to the, his lack of size and then, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate to the next level His lack of size. He has all the speed in the world. It also, he just didn't really compete and didn't, do that well in his senior season. So hopefully he turns that around when he gets to
0: the top end. Okay, I was going to say, did they just now notice his lack of size? <laughs> Anyhow, moving on. Right. Uh, the Senior Bowl happened last weekend, and it was supposed to be four dudes that competed in it. They all practiced most of the week, but the guys that did play shined. I mean, they had great practice week and great games. Troy Pryde Jr. went from a fourth-round pick to a second-round pick uh, in this event, according to Scott Wright. Uh, he stole the show during practice week guarding some of the best wide receivers in all of college football, picked off a pass in the game, returned at thirty three yards, and then went on to say afterwards, Where do you see me in the combine? I'm gonna bust out a four three forty. If he does that, he might even be able to play his way into a first round draft pick. Chase Claypool, two catches for only six yards, but one of them was a touchdown. And then Jalen Elliott had two tackles in the game, but he was named Defensive Back of the Week for the entire North team. So a really good showing. Alohi Gilman was supposed to play in this thing, tweaked his hamstring on Thursday before the game, decided it was best to sit it out with the combine coming up the end of this month, end of next month, February, and then moving into early March. And then the draft is in April. You're up, Mason.
1: Also. Lastly, the, the Golden Bears of Cal announced it will travel to South Bend to take on the Irish in 2022. So starting to fill out that 2022 schedule. It seems like a ways away, but only two years until so Notre Dame takes on Cal.
0: All right, we got to do this Landon Bartleson thing here, Mason. Uh, Landon Bartleson was arrested for burglary, criminal mischief, and rec- uh, receiving stolen property of more than $10,000. That was in Danville, Kentucky. Notre Dame went ahead, evaluated the situation, said mm, thanks but no thanks, and let him out of his letter of intent. Um, he's 18. He was hanging out with two 16-year-olds. Uh, and they are accused of breaking into a business there, a local business in Kentucky, and stealing several guns. <laughs> They're also linked to a vehicle theft. You know, Mason, I can't help but wonder. You, you, you have the world by the you-know-what you are coming to Notre Dame in June w- w- in a wide open position group where if you can make quick strides, you certainly can maybe find some quick playing time. And instead of just buying your time here for a few months, what is it, three, four months, you're out stealing cars and guns. What was your first reaction when you heard about this Bartleson situation?
1: guy. Yeah, I'd only heard about the car, which like, you know, that's that's a dumb enough thing to do. But then right. once I heard about the guns, I immediately thought that, you know, may, I'm glad he was caught when he was. You don't want to know what could have happened with those guns i can't imagine that they were going out hunting or something so they um, <laughs> might have yeah, been stealing that amount of guns and ammunition that kind of stuff that's it's not good i really like bartleson as a recruit he's, he's a lengthy guy with speed. he's 6-1 182 24 7 sports liked him a ton i liked him a lot too i watched a ton of his film before he committed i thought he was the guy that could have potentially went into an even bigger school in their name he had the offers to do so yeah but yeah it's just too bad
0: You're obviously more of the recruiting guru than I am. I guess when I saw the three stars, I didn't realize he was such a coveted recruit. You know, it is a tough loss because when you look at all the position groups at Notre Dame coming into the spring and obviously into next season then, cornerback really seems to be the one all eyes are on. You have Sean Crawford back for a sixth year. Can he stay healthy? You hope he can. And then Tariq Bracey, he's a junior to be. That's it. From an experience standpoint, that is it. There are actually eight cornerbacks on the roster. I just named two of them. And each one from the 2019 class, they all saved their eligibility from their freshman year. You have Cam Hart, C.J. Wallace, Isaiah Rutherford. This incoming 2020 class, Caleb Oford and Ramon Henderson. They're early really so they're already on campus. And then Clarence Lewis will join that 2020 group in June Mason, you've watched this team. You filed these recruits. When I gave that list, that secondary list of those six players, which one of these or which ones of these can make an impact this year?
1: I think it's got to be Ramon Henderson, and I'm, start, I'm starting to grow on me as Caleb Oford Over initially, I didn't like him a ton as a recruit. I thought he was potentially too small, not not quite fast enough. I thought Notre Dame was potentially taking him as a kind of a project piece. But he's starting to grow on I me. Mean, I've got a chance to watch more of his film as well as Ramon Henderson. Henderson was the guy that he, he was the last guy added to this class. And um, I've got to watch more of him as well. It, it always seemed like a foregone conclusion that he was signing with Notre Dame, and he finally did. I really like his size. He's standing at six, three, the tallest corner on the Notre Dame uh, team currently. He's almost the height of Kyle Hamilton, and Hamilton looks like a monster out there. Right, right. So You'd love to see what Henderson can do with that size. And uh, I think there is potential that he might even move into a safety position. So he'll be one to watch for sure.
0: It's interesting to me, though, Mason, that you jump immediately to incoming freshmen. And that's a tough position for an incoming freshman to make an immediate impact. You glossed right over what will be the sophomores to be. Are you not impressed with that group of three, the Hart-Wallace-Rutherford?
1: I'm not very impressed with Hart. I think he... May move to wide receiver. He is initially a wide receiver, right. moved to corner. I think he might go to wide receiver again. I do like K.J. Wallace. I think he is kind of stopped by Tariq Bracey. I think Tariq Bracey is a better player. I think that he's kind of in Wallace's way, unless they decide to move Wallace over to the boundary. But there's another stopgap in Sean Crawford. So, Wallace is kind of a tough spot for playing time, but he will get rotated in for sure. So, um, yeah, Wallace is definitely the guy I like the most out of that that group. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got there.
0: Well, you know, you—it's it, in flux the entire position group because when you look at the guys that you've lost from your defensive backfield, you're talking about Troy Pride Jr., a wonderful cornerback who's going to be looks like a, at least a top uh, a top three round pick in the NFL, and then Jalen Elliott as, at safety and Alohi Gilman at safety as well. So there's a lot of missing pieces. I guess the one thing you do have working in your favor is having Kyle Hamilton back. Certainly, this is going to be not only the cornerback, but the entire defensive backfield—a position worth watching. You know, as as we wait for a coach to get hired back there as well, on top of everything else. So, you know, what, let's move on to some of these younger guys because I know that the, the recruiting—is couldn't be any hot and heavier. the The offers last week were coming like crazy all over the place. I'm going to let you break that down a little bit more, but I first want to ask you. As they're focusing on these 2021 guys and these 2022 guys, what are you picking up as sort of what they really want to build on the coaching staff?
1: What I'm picking up on is they they want to stick with the Notre Dame O-line U kind of mantra. So between Nolan Rucci, Rocco Spindler, Garrett Dellinger, and Landon Tangwall, four of the best offensive line in the nation. Notre Dame's trying to land all four, but if they can get three, they'd be ecstatic. Um, Blake Fisher has been a huge guy in recruiting, and he, he's a nerd Dame 2021 offensive line commit. <clears throat> he's, you know, he's doing it as an unpaid, but he's, you could say he's doing a better job than some of the guys that are being paid to do recruiting. He's doing better than, you know, Mike Elson, who's Elson's considered the best recruiter on the staff. So is out there. You can see him on Twitter every single day, tagging these guys, posting pictures with them. He posted a screenshot of him, uh, Tyler Buckner, and uh, Rocco Spindler all on FaceTime, you know, hopefully they're talking about the future, talking about right. playing in the blue and gold together. So uh, yeah, it's been a lot of crazy stuff going on, but before those four guys I mentioned, Rucci, Spindler, Dellinger, and Tangwall, that could be a force to be reckoned with. And Nerding's recruiting the offensive line position potentially better than it has in a long time.
0: Yeah, and maybe better than anybody in the country. You're exactly right. Let me flip sides of the ball here. I actually saw where the defensive ends are getting offers like crazy, including uh, the 2022 young man. Uh, he's a five-star Shamar Stewart. He's rated as the number one player in the entire country, 6'6", out of Opelika, Florida. Uh, Talk a little bit about the defensive side of the recruiting, what you're seeing.
1: Yeah, I like Stewart a lot as a recruit. I don't necessarily think Notre Dame's a huge player in that. Um, The things he had to say about Notre Dame, he's obviously going to keep it polite and nice, and it seems like he wants to focus on school for now and getting through his junior season. But at the same time, it almost seemed like a thanks, no thanks kind of thing. Okay, We'll see if that develops. But if Notre Dame gets him on campus, that's obviously huge. That's their number one goal. But, guys, I've started to take an eye, take a look at David Aviara from Texas and Jabari Ishmael, uh, two guys that Mike Elston has been visiting all, over this past week. So those are two guys to definitely keep an eye on. Elston has done a great job of stacking the defensive end board, and uh, he's had some really great talent come through Notre Dame in the past couple of years of the defensive end position.
0: When we're talking about Stewart from the 2022 class here, I'm curious because you and I kind of broke it down. You had some great perspective, I thought. In that, we, Brian Kelly said he wants to move from that top 15 recruiting ranking to top five. So they go out and they offer the number one player in the country. Do you think that's part of that effort? Get on these guys a little bit earlier than what you have in the past. Whether it pans out or not, go ahead and throw it out there and see what you can get.
1: I think it's better than what they were doing before. You know, kind of assuming, oh, we can't get these big time guys. Like, why not? Right. You know, I'm sure that nobody thought. I mean, maybe you did, but nobody really thought you were going to land a huge, one of the best recruits in Kyle Hamilton just a few years back. So why not go and get another guy like Hamilton, a top, 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 top recruit in the nation? So, yeah, I mean, the worst they can say is no, and it doesn't hurt you at all. So Kelly needs to get himself more involved, and it seems like that's what he's doing.
0: Curious, this is something I've been wanting to ask you about, you know, now that things are, again, hot and heavy on the recruiting trail. How has Tommy Reese been received so far by the offensive guys?
1: I think they like him a lot. He's a younger guy. You know, Chip Long was an older guy that was an old school kind of way. And I think they re- they really appreciate that nobody knows what it's like to be an Notre Dame quarterback, offensive player, play under Brian Kelly, his system more than Tommy Reese. You know, you you almost get flashbacks to red faced Brian Kelly screaming at Tommy <laughs> Reese on the sideline. And you know nobody knows it better than he does. He he can lead them through. He knows how to do it academically. He's a smart guy, and he's really one of the bright, young, budding coaches in the nation. So I think guys are really excited to play for him and hear what he has to say on Notre Dame, especially the new recruits and the new guys coming into Notre Dame.
0: I, I just can't help but think that Ben there, done that factor really makes a difference with these guys. And it is interesting to me, though. I think as a quarterback's coach, he could be a little bit more buddy-buddy with the gang. Obviously, he still had to be a mentor and a coach and get hard on the guys when he had to be hard on the guys. But I think as offensive coordinator, he has to change his hat a little bit. Certainly, there, there there has to be some element there of connection with your players. But at the same time, to me, Mason, I think it seems like you do have to—I don't know if grow up a little bit—is the right way to put it. But you, do you sort of get what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, you have to establish yourself as you're not necessarily their friend. You know, they can be—you can be somebody that they confide in as as somebody they trust as an older adult. But, you know, you can't have the same relationship that with Ian Book, per se, that you have with everybody else. Uh, Reese speaks in length about how him and Book hang out even after practice, just not even talking about football, just enjoying each other's company. And while it's great to have a good relationship with your players, I don't necessarily think you can be best friends with all of them. You can't show favorites, and you really can't necessarily be their friend. You have to be their coach and somebody they look up to rather than being on the same level and being buddy-buddy.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I guess and that's just going to happen naturally, I suppose, meaning books of 50 or seniors. So, you know, and these these we're talking about incoming freshmen or players that aren't even here yet, frankly. All right, I wanted to pop this in because you and I have broken it down at length, the Phil Djokovic situation with him transferring. And I just wondered what his take was. We didn't. I, I tried to reach out to him and didn't have any luck. They introduced him at Boston College this week where he transferred from Notre Dame to. So he opened up a little bit. I want to pop this audio clip in so we can kind of put a bow on the Jakovic story here. And here he is chatting. Uh, It is interesting. He does reference that, indeed, if he becomes Boston College starting quarterback and stays there for his three years, then, indeed, he will come to Notre Dame Stadium in 2022 and play against a lot of players that he knows. And here's Phil. Yeah, it is scary uh, throwing your name in, not knowing what's going to come out of it. But immediately, Coach Affleen, Coaching Nutty uh, showed a lot of interest, and it was a clear choice as to where to go for me. Yeah, I'd, really, I'd rather not talk too much about Notre Dame, but um, yeah, Ian, Ian Book is a very good player, and I wish him the best. I've got a lot of friends at Notre Dame. My teammates, uh, my former teammates, I wish them the best, but they were on the schedule in a couple of years. So. If the chance comes, that would be awesome to play. Yeah, I don't think I I got too much of an opportunity to showcase what I can do, but it was fun being out there. So good for Phil. He seems happy. He He didn't want to dive in real big time into the Notre Dame situation, and I don't blame him there. Time for him to turn the page, and probably time for us to turn the page as well. Mason, I want to talk a little hoops here because it was an interesting week. We'll start with the men. Um, obviously, the Notre Dame coach had a meltdown, and I don't really blame him. I, again, I watched the game. There's some sketchy calls. I thought a couple sketchy traveling calls against Rex Fluger late there. And then the non the call, the uh, non foul call against Juwan Durham when he made the steal to get Notre Dame within one. The Irish end up losing that game at Florida State, number five, Florida State, might I add, 85 84. Man, it's hard not to feel Mike Brace frustration. You're talking about they've lost four of their six ACC games. They're three and six overall in the ACC. Four of those six have been by three points or fewer. You feel like this team is so close, but it has trouble closing. And that one had to sting quite a bit. And so I'm going to go ahead and pop in this clip. Is there a grudge against Notre Dame with the football independence? While the other teams, the Olympic sports teams, are full time conference members, sometimes you wonder. And here's Mike Bray. Don't fouled on that last one. That still you get fouled on that. I'm about the walk on fluid at half court Sometimes we're treated with we're treated by the officials Like we haven't brought football as a full member, but yet we get a full share of the ACC <laughs> Network TV. Are you kidding me? He tees up our bench from across the court because he's pissed off at us. I'm frustrated, man. And I tip it cap Florida State. They made great plays. I love Leonard. He's a good friend, and they're a great team. you got to be kidding me, man. I don't know, Mason. What do you think? Uh, is there something to Bray's point? I know he wasn't allowed to give it because it broke the policy of uh, condemning officials after in post-game or really any setting. Sometimes you wonder a little bit if there is kind of a grudge against Notre Dame just being a part-time member in football and yet a full-time member in everything else.
1: I think it's totally possible. I think in a lot of people's eyes, love Notre Dame or you hate them. And right. some people view Notre Dame as kind of an uppy, sort of like above you sort of place. But not necessarily that in my eyes. I think, you know, Bray may have been frustrated with his team not being able to close his the games. There was a, a few crappy calls, there's no doubt about it. But um, I think it's also just a culmination of how this season is going Bray surely feeling he, he's on the hot seat, and he kind of let it all go all at once. I can't imagine that it was all directly about the calls, because nodens had their fair share of calls in the past. A bad calls go against them, I should say. And Mike Bray has kind of held, held himself to a higher standard than that. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things that are bothering him, and he kind of let it all go, and uh, you can't blame him, really.
0: No, you can't, and and, and I couldn't agree with you more because when you look at what's been happening here, I mentioned the four ACC games by three points or fewer. If you throw out the North Carolina loss, I believe their other five ACC losses are by 12 points total. (laughs) So you're in every game, yet you're not getting it done. But here, now they have a chance. Now Notre Dame has a chance. Home against Georgia Tech. Okay, you took care of Wake Forest with a nice comeback on Wednesday. I thought they played pretty well. Georgia Tech, this is sort of funny because Notre Dame has won only seven of its last 29 ACC games, and three of those seven have come against Georgia Tech. So they get a shot to uh, sweep the season, the regular season series here with the Yellow Jackets. They play Georgia Tech so much because it's Boston College and Georgia Tech are Notre Dame's two annual repeat opponents. That's why you see those matchups quite a bit. So a chance to get that done, Notre Dame will be favored. If they can get that done, they're 4-6, and and then they host Pitt next week, Wednesday next week. There's no reason Notre Dame can't reel off three straight games here, although the last time they did it, Bonzi Colson was on the team. Last time they won three straight ACC games goes all the way back to 2016-2017. Actually, the last time they've won two straight ACC games was February 18th of 2018. They'll be favored in both games, Georgia Tech and Pitt. Maybe they can build a little bit, get out of this thing at 5-6, and six, which seems almost remarkable with the way we've been talking about this team. We'll have to wait and see what happens, though. I like their chances in both these games. I like them coming out at 5-6, and six, and I'm not necessarily suggesting a run at an NCAA tournament bid but at least they can sort of see the bubble from a distance moving on to the women here the day before playing Louisville which ended up in 86 54 loss to the Cardinals the number five Cardinals Muffet McGraw man she sounded she she like was conceding that this team just isn't very good and understandably with all the injuries and all the losses from last year but she basically said you know what Moral victories are fine with this team. I'm not worried about the final score. I want to see how they play. I want to see how they hustle. I want to see how they compete. I want to see them improve. That was pretty interesting to me. The ladies are 7-14 overall and only 2 and 7 in the ACC, but I, I when you talk about Muffet McGraw, I wouldn't think of her saying that we're just playing for moral victories at this point. Did you did you see that and what did you think of that?
1: I did, and, it, and she just seems like she's kind of beat down and just trying to take the positives where the positives may come. You know, you have some solid players, including Sam Brunel, who's going to be great in her nerding career. But right. you got to have some, you got to have some uh, talent around her as well. And you know, losing all five starters plus your be- best two bench pieces last season—that's tough, and uh, it's, it's tough to come back from. But as one of the premier powerhouses in uh, women's college basketball you can't be having a season like this, and you definitely can't have one next season. So she's trying to get the positives out of this season that she can something to build on for next season. Hopefully you see them rebound and get back into that perennial, you know, one, two, three, you know, at least top five spots in our game.
0: You know, with all the McDowell's All-Americans and the job she's able to do recruiting, certainly you think it's going to happen. I I feel badly for the girls that come in here as freshmen. You know, you mentioned Brunel and Peoples. (laughs) These girls are expected to kind of join a juggernaut. Next thing you know, they're in charge of the entire program. And now Peoples is out. The injuries keep mounting. I mean, Muffet just can't catch a break this year. So hopefully, she can keep the, the morale high as we talk about moral victories, keeping the morale high as well. And I, and I think she can. She knew she wasn't going to beat Louisville, and she didn't. You know, you lose by 32 at home. She knew it was going to happen. The women's game is a little bit different than the men's game. Uh, but we wish him well. Obviously, not great things are going to happen this year, but hopefully, it's a learning experience. Uh, speaking of learning experience, hockey team—they're kind of on life support here. I actually had an exclusive with Cale Morris, the fine goaltender. They're only eleven, eleven, and four. They are unranked, which is the first time in forever they've been unranked. They go to Penn State, which is number eight in the country, seventeen, eight, and one. Notre Dame needs to get this thing going, and hockey can turn around quickly. Bounce of the puck here, bounce of the puck there. Things start going your way. Their only hope of even making the NCAA tournament will be to win the Big Ten tournament and get that sort of automatic bid. That's up the line a little bit. That starts in early March, so we'll have to keep an eye on that as we go. But certainly, Notre Dame, this is a good chance. They play some, I believe it's Penn State, Minnesota, Michigan so some good teams, some quality teams where they can kind of get things rolling a little bit, we hope anyway. So that's what's up next, uh, Number 8 in the country. Mason, Super Bowl weekend. Here we go. There's three. There's a little bit of Notre Dame flavor to it. Sheldon Day, uh, he starts for the 49ers, but he's more of a situational player. 15 total tackles in a sack this year. Obviously, Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle, has become a mainstay on this team. And I don't know, little-known fact here, Mason, Alizé Mack, he just signed a reserve future contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. So he has a little bit of presence. I don't know if he'll be on the sidelines or not. I suppose he probably would be. Mason, there's your little Notre Dame flavor for the Super Bowl this weekend. So that brings me to who do you like?
1: I like the Chiefs. Um, Let me get a score prediction in here real quick. I'll say 37-31. I'll take the Chiefs.
0: All right, I'm going to write it down here. I just think San Fran, and man, you're going you're shooting over that over-under. Good for you. Um, I think that San Francisco is more of the complete team here when you look at them defensively. So I'm actually going to go the Niners in this one, a little bit lower scoring, but I think it's going to be one heck of a football game. I'm going 34-31 Niners. I'm going to write these down so we can revisit them next week. Mason, I do believe that's it. We're 20 seconds from 28 minutes on the dot. I appreciate your time and your expertise, as always. Your your wonderful uh, recruiting breakdown helps all of our listeners, as always, every week. That's Mason Plummer. Find him at SlaptheSign.com. You can find him at Mason Plummer 6. You can find me at Todd Burlage. Mason, thanks again, brother. That flew by. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions.